Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Birdwatchers General Store. Orleans Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By L.L. Bean. Inspiring you to get outdoors. LLBean.com. By Celestron. Offering binoculars and scopes for birders of all levels. Celestron.com. By Birds and Beans Shade-Grown Bird-Friendly Coffee. Birdsandbeans.com. And by Chimani. Visiting a national park? Let Chimani guide you. Chimani.com. Good morning. Welcome to our show, number 623. You may be able to hear house wrens singing. We have house wrens singing, and we think nesting right in our Talking Birds garden right here behind the radio station. I have to admit, we're enhancing the sound electronically just a little bit, so you'd be able to hear that. Well, thanks to our friends at Wildlands Trust and Manomet for hosting us at the beautiful Wildlands Trust headquarters in Plymouth, Massachusetts, last Sunday. Meanwhile, we'll be doing our show in Maine on Memorial Day weekend. Talking Birds listeners, if you're anywhere near Freeport, Maine on that weekend, we hope you'll swing by the L.L. Bean flagship store, where for the third year in a row, we'll air our show from the L.L. Bean Maine Audubon Birding Festival on Sunday, May 28th. That four-day festival, by the way, starts on Thursday, May 25th. Ever hear of these birds? The three-foot crow. How about the double pupil bird? And the jingwei? Well, that last one, along with this music, might offer a clue as to their identity. They're all mythical birds of ancient China. The three-foot crow was said to have ensured that the sun rose at dawn and set at dusk. Kind of a big job there. The double pupil bird had two eyes but four pupils with two in each orbit, and it consumed only cream and fine wine. And the jingwei, it was another crow-like bird that was fond of throwing small rocks and branches into the sea as it called out its name, jingwei. Just a little ancient China mythical bird talk here this morning. China is, of course, home to the world's most famous wall. But we may soon have a pretty big wall here in the U.S. on our southern border. Some think it's a good idea. Others, not so much. In that latter group, folks who are concerned about the wall's potentially catastrophic effect on wildlife. Bob Drea from the Defenders of Wildlife says the wall would cause incalculable damage to the integrity of wildlife populations on both sides of the border. Scientists and conservationists say such drastic increases in border security could be devastating for hundreds of species and potentially lead to extinction in the U.S. for endangered or threatened animals like jaguars, ocelots, and the Mexican gray wolf. They also suggest that construction of an impenetrable divider could destroy or damage natural habitats, cut off animal populations who depend on the ability to roam at the border, and affect genetic diversity. And according to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, if the border wall is built, there would be negative impacts on more than 100 animals that are listed as threatened, endangered, or candidates for such status under the Endangered Species Act from coast to coast. Here are some of the stories and videos uh, that you'll find on our Facebook page this week. Direct from San Francisco, it's a peregrine falcon nest cam, and we'll connect you to it. Remember the honeymooners? 
Even if you don't, we think you'll like this old TV show clip as Ed Norton explains his sighting of a yellow-bellied sapsucker to a rather skeptical Ralph Cramden. And a conservation success. The scimitar-horned oryx, once extinct in the wild, has been returned to the steppes and sub-deserts of North Africa. That's some of what we have for you on our Facebook page right now. Find those stories through an online search if you're not a Facebook follower. There it is, the actual sound of our Talking Birds bi-monthly electronic newsletter, The Trumpeter, being generated. We'd like to incentivize Talking Birds listeners to sign up for our free newsletter. It's a nice little one-pager of birds and conservation news, guest profiles, and special features. And each week this month, we're choosing the name of a Trumpeter subscriber at random, and we'll send that subscriber a big bag of bird-friendly birds and beans shade-grown ultra-delicious coffee. By the way, just by drinking birds and beans, bird-friendly coffee, instead of that store-bought, sun-grown stuff, you're actually helping birds survive and thrive. Then on our first show in June, we'll draw another name from among all subscribers and give away something very special indeed, a Celestron Hummingbird Miniscope. That's a beauty. So for a chance to win the coffee and or the scope, just subscribe to our free electronic newsletter, The Trumpeter. To do it, click on the subscribe button on our TalkingBirds.com website. Pretty simple, and of course you can unsubscribe anytime you like. So get the newsletter and have a chance to win some of those terrific prizes. That beautiful sound we're hearing right now is our mystery bird. This is a little preview of our mystery bird contest that we'll do later in the show. So we want to give you a clue so you'll be prepared. Our mystery bird swims like a duck and walks like a chicken. It's a tropical marsh bird seen with ducks but has a triangular chicken-like bill. Its body is an intense green, purple, and blue, and it has yellow legs. That would be our mystery bird. We'll conduct the contest a little bit later in the show. Still to come on our show today, we'll hear from high school teacher Steve McGuire, who has created a full class about bird watching, ornithology in the classroom. We'll also hear from two of Steve's students. Plus, we'll catch up with our man Mike O'Connor from Cape Cod's famous bird watchers general store in our Let's Ask Mike segment and talk about a bird that lots of folks are looking forward to seeing and hearing. Icterus. Galbula, the Baltimore Oriole. And up next, a bird that not only swims but also spins is today's featured feathered friend. This is Fred Finch with five fascinating facts about our featured feathered friend, the phalarope. The Wilson's phalarope, that is. Fact number one. When phalaropes spin in the water to bring food up from the bottom, some go clockwise, some go counterclockwise, but no individual goes both ways. Fact number two. Phalaropes move food through their bill and into their mouth using the surface tension of water droplets. Fact number three. Wilson's phalarope chicks can swim one hour after hatching. Fact number four. At breeding time, it's the female Wilson's phalarope who chases the male. And fascinating phalarope fact number five, it's the male who sits on the nest to incubate the eggs. And there are your five fascinating phalarope facts. I'm Fred Finch. Thank you, Fred. 
And here's one more fascinating fact, courtesy of the Sibley Guide to Bird Life and Behavior. At migration time, Wilson's phalaropes can add as much as 55% of their body mass in fat. In fact, they sometimes get so fat, they can't walk. Fortunately, they can fly. But from the water, they need a long runway for takeoff. Of the three phalaropes found in North America, the Wilsons is the one most likely to be seen from shore, on mudflats and in marshes and ponds. This beautiful bird has a long, thin bill and a distinctive white eyebrow, and the male's flashy black, white, and chestnut coloring is reflected in the scientific name Phalaropus tricolor. Is that a fact? Uh, yes. Yes, it is, Fred. The Wilson's Phalarope. Today's Talking Birds featured Feathered Friend. Thanks again for being with us here in our show number 623. Hope you'll visit our Talking Birds website. We think it's a pretty good one, TalkingBirds.com. And uh, do follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Talking Birds. So do you remember taking a course in ornithology in high school? No, I didn't think so. However, if you were a student at Situate High here in Massachusetts, you could do exactly that. Thanks to the guest we're about to welcome to the show. He's Steve McGuire, and he's right here in the studio with us. Good morning, Steve. Good morning, Ray. Thanks for having us. It's great to have you and a couple of your students with you, Mia DeSano and Griffin Seidel. Good morning, Mia and Griffin. Good morning. Hi. So, Steve, how did you get the idea to create this course? It's a, it's a little unusual, certainly, and uh, were you surprised that you got the okay to do it from the school? Well... Uh, I would say I've been a birder my whole life and always have loved uh, watching birds. And my dad used to take me out to the bird feeder when I was a young kid and hold me up to feed the birds and always have been hooked forever. And went to my administration four years ago who was incredibly supportive of this and said, hey, we want to, what do you think about this? I I teach astronomy and oceanography and Mm. meteorology also. And said, what do you think if we give this a shot uh, and see if we'll get some kids that are interested in birding? And uh, here we are four years later. So it's been, it's been fabulous and completely supported by our administration and superintendent. And they've been, they've been great to let us do what we do. Well, you already so- showed some chops on, the other, on your other kind of science-based program. So you had kind of a, a leg up in the credibility department there. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, there they're very, our admin is very supportive of trying new ideas and doing different things and uh, some non-traditional stuff is always sort of welcomed and you know this has been the, the coolest part for me is you know we get to be out on a marsh or a beach or somewhere birding mm. uh, and then during class and then we'll go back to we'll go back to class and the way we've set up the format is that if class is first period in the morning or last period in the afternoon uh, we do what we call off-sites, so class is held at a beach, at a marsh, somewhere not within the four walls of the classroom, because so much learning can take place outside the classroom, and, and it's been fabulous. Yeah, well, you're in a seaside town, too, so all kinds of great uh, environments for birding, too. Yeah, Situate's an a amazing birding hotspot. We have marshes, we have the beaches, which introduce a whole total different group of species of birds in the wintertime for the sea ducks that we get. And we're right on a flyway here, too, so uh, we're right out of the spit. We get a tremendous amount of shorebirds, and, yeah, we're really lucky to be where we are. And you don't have, you know, four or five or six students in this program. You have a, you have a ton of kids in there. Yeah, we've been, we've been super lucky. We have 93 kids that are signed up for it right now, and it's, uh, it's, been, yeah, it's been excellent. We've been really lucky. 
And you're doing uh, field birding, as you said, but also studying other aspects of bird life, right? Yeah, so I, I've sort of built the course around two tracks. Uh, the first one is ID, IDing the birds, like know, being able to identify them and being able to tell what they are uh, through a whole myriad of different ways. So first track is identification, and then the second track has been the basics of migration and nesting and mating and all the different aspects that birds have that no other animal has. Do you do any uh, dissecting or anything like uh, that? We, we yeah. don't. We, uh, it's such okay. a large group of folks that I think <laughs> facilitating some di- dissection stuff would be tough with 31 kids in the classroom. But mm. uh, down the road, it's cer- certainly something we've looked into doing, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I did the uh, Mass Audubon uh, uh, Birder Certificate Program a couple of years ago, and there was some dissecting going on. wasn't the most popular thing among uh, some of the students there. <laughs> yeah. Right. I'm sure. Among those who were still there when this started. Yeah, yeah. When it started going. So how much time can you actually get out in the field? You'd say early in the, if you have an yeah. early class and a late class? So we're fortunate that our schedule rotates. So if class is first period, which typically the day begins at 7.45 for us, students will meet me. Well, I'll use Peggotty Beach as an example. So students will meet me at Peggotty at 7.45. I'll take attendance, and then we'll bird the marsh and the beach and the ocean for a solid 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. And then I, get, I build in some time for them to safely get back to school, mm-hmm. and they're back to start the, to get into the day for second period. So it's something that you know so many people say a lot of negative stuff about public education, <laughs> but to think that we have the opportunity to do this and that we're supported by our school is just mm-hmm. is awesome. Amazing. So, Mia, you had a sighting that uh, might have been enough to get you hooked on birds, right, with a bald eagle flying over during class. But birds was birding was new to you when you started this, right? Yeah, I actually, I took um, oceanography and astronomy with Mr. McGuire. Mm-hmm. And second semester I had a study, and then I was like, you know what, I'm going to try ornithology because I've heard so much good things about it. And um, Mr. McGuire is so passionate about science and everything. So I was excited for that and, like, the bald eagle sighting just got me hooked because we were just walking in the field and it was like kind of a chilly day and I was kind of tired just chilling out with my binoculars and then all of a sudden I hear bald eagle and I look up and it it, it totally just changed my mind about everything because like it was right there in front of us and I was just it was awesome it was so cool wow uh, how about you Griffin what got you into the class and what's what it's what it's uh, what has it been like you were you have kind of a birding background though right um yeah so. Uh, like I took uh, oceanography last year, and that was a super super fun class and um, very interesting. So I figured another class with Mr. McGuire would be would be just as interesting. And also, I've been birding with my family for my whole life, basically, and um, I figured the class could supplement that experience. And um, yeah, it's just it's it's been a, it's been a great class. I would have signed up for ornithology in high school just to find out what ornithology <laughs> right. was. Right. But, uh, <laughs> right, yeah, I get to, I get, definitely get some sideways looks from colleagues outside of our high school uh, that say, you teach what? You know, yeah. so, but... Well, what about, what about uh, speaking of colleagues, what about your classmates, uh, Mia and Griffin? What do, what do they think about this? Well, 
sometimes like I told people I was coming here to talk about birding and they're like birding really and I'm like yeah like I'm in the class and <laughs> they're all just like surprised that we even have a class for it but like if anyone could see like what we get to do and how we get to go off site all the time they would like be like sign me up because it's mm-hmm. it's awesome and like no one really realizes how how great it is to go out in the field and just see like new birds every day that I'd even know like that was the name of a bird or like the sound of a bird I've never heard of so so literally next weekend going out uh, Mass Audubon has this big birdathon and uh, you're going to sort of be associated with that so you're going to be doing some serious birding yeah a little a little bit where you know we're sort of quasi associated with that we're going to try to do our own version of a big day big day which is as many birds as you can see sort of in that day and uh we rented a 12 passenger van and we have 11 students going and i'm going to drive and we're leaving school around noon and we're going to bird we're going to start up in quincy at the marsh across from uh wallaston beach and kind of work our way south and just see how far the night gets us. And the weather looks <laughs> it's definitely favorable right now. There's no no rain in the forecast from what we saw, so it's going to be awesome. And we got the I tried to ensure that the van has glass along the windows along along the side of it, not the windows, but the side of the van, uh-huh. so we can bird as we're driving. Good so. idea. So, Steve, you know, I know we have other teachers listening. We've heard from teachers who try to do bird-related things for their classes, but. Um, can they contact you maybe to get advice on how to start a program such as you're doing? Yeah, definitely. So we're, according to Cornell, we're one, the Cornell School of Ornithology, we're one of only two or three public high schools in the country that do a full 16-week course. Mm-hmm. So the key thing is uh, they, pe- folks can reach out to me at my school email, ski, school email which is smaguire, S-M-A-G-U-I-R-E, at sit.org. And uh, be more than willing to to reach out and help. Cause that's the, the awesome part about the collegiality of teaching that people will definitely help each other. So I'd be more than willing to help folks if they're looking to add some some mm-hmm. ornithology to their program. Yeah. So sit in that case S C I T. Yep. S C I T. Okay. So it's M A G U I R E at S C I T for situate. Yep. Dot S McGuire. Yep. Okay, and we'll put something on our Facebook page, too, so we can uh, make a, a link of some sort to that. Steve, thank you. Thanks for creating this course. It's just amazing. And uh, Mia and uh, Griffin, keep up the good work there, and uh, good luck on this uh, on your big day. Thank, thank you. you. Awesome. Thanks, Ray. Appreciate it. Coming up here next, it's our Mystery Bird Contest in just one minute. Next time you're shopping for wild bird food, look for Audubon Park. It's the finest kind, and you can choose from more than a dozen selections, including no-waste patio blends and species-specific blends. And the folks at Audubon Park encourage all who feed backyard birds to follow these important rules to help keep birds safe and healthy. Choose seed made in the USA. Fill your feeders with no more than a week's supply of food. Clean your feeders weekly with soap and hot water or a solution of bleach and water. Make your windows visible to birds to prevent crashes. Place feeders away from windows and safe from predators. Offer water for drinking and bathing and refresh it daily. Keep cats indoors. Reduce your lawn, mow it less often, and skip the fertilizers and pesticides. Plant native shrubs and trees. And keep outdoor lights as dim as possible and use them only when necessary. Simple rules for healthy birds from the folks at Audubon Park Wild Bird Food. And for a complete list of backyard bird feeding tips, visit the Discovery Center at AudubonPark.com. That's AudubonPark.com. 
Talking Birds is made possible in part by the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, a world leader in the study, appreciation, and conservation of birds. Please check them out at birds.cornell.edu. That's birds.cornell.edu. And if you're not hearing our show live, just a reminder, you can hear us live online so you can participate in the Mystery Bird Contest wherever you happen to be. Our number is 781-837-4900, 781-837-4900. Our prize is the Droll Yankees original iconic A6F classic tube feeder, the one invented by Peter Killam back in 1969 and copied but never duplicated uh, many times since. So that's our beautiful prize. 781-837-4900 is the number, and here's the sound of our mystery bird. Our mystery bird swims like a duck, walks like a chicken. It's a tropical marsh bird, seen with ducks, but has a triangular chicken-like bill. Its body is an intense green, a purple and blue, and it has yellow legs. Our bird, which feeds on a wide variety of plant and animal matter, including insects, frogs, snails, smiter, uh, spiders, worms, and fish, is found year-round in Florida and the Gulf Coasts of Texas and Louisiana and breeds throughout the southeastern states and often well up into New England. That would be a, a bunch of clues and the sound of our mystery bird. Tell us what it is or take a guess. No correct answer means a drawing will determine our winner. So even if you don't have the exactly correct answer, you could still win that beautiful Droll Yankees feeder. So give it a shot. 781-837-4900 is the number. 781-837-4900. Meanwhile, we're going to transition to beautiful Cape Cod and check in with Mike O'Connor. The subject, Baltimore Orioles. Let's ask Mike live in just one minute. Talking Birds, we're for the birds. And we want to say thanks to another Talking Birds ambassador who's helping to spread the word about birds and conservation. Hi, this is Dave from Lancaster, New Hampshire. I've been listening to Talking Birds for the past two years or so. I became an ambassador because I wanted others to understand what a great program this is. Talking Birds listeners, we hope you'll join Dave and become a Talking Birds ambassador. Just visit our website, TalkingBirds.com. Click on the contact button and then choose the Become an Ambassador option. We'll send you some info cards to hand out to your friends and neighbors. That's the contact button at TalkingBirds.com. And thanks. Down to Orleans, Cape Cod. Uh, Mike O'Connor is down there. Orleans is, well, it's a special day for Orleans. Thanks to uh, a publication called Coastal Living Magazine. Let's get Mike's reaction to that. Good morning, Mike. Wow, hey, good morning, Ray. What what, what are they talking about us now? Don't worry, it's something good. I'm a little nervous. Yeah, Coastal Living Magazine just rated Orleans Cape Cod as the happiest seaside town in New England and number two in the country, second only to Grand Haven, Michigan. Which Grand isn't Haven. even on the sea oh, oh, when you think about it. Than Grand Haven. Yeah, yeah, but that's so cool. Don't just, oh, the happiest. Oh man, now I, got, I feel pressure. I feel pressure. You got to keep it up. You got to keep town. up the standards there. Yeah. The only <laughs> other New England town that got in the top ten was Camden, Maine. Uh, oh yeah, well, that, in, that is a nice town. 
town. That is a beautiful town. Yeah, but, that's, you know, not as happy yeah. as we are. Not as happy as maybe as beautiful, but not as happy. We roll out of bed with a big grin on our face every day. <laughs> well, Mike, uh, the bird we're hearing right now is one that a lot of people look forward to seeing in the spring, and it's the beautiful Baltimore Oriole. The Baltimore Orioles. Baseball team uh, hasn't been very popular up here recently, Um, but the bird certainly is. No kidding. (laughs) How do you get them to uh, come to your yard and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah. fortunately, the birds are better than the team, or more likable (laughs) than the team anyways. Yep, and they're all back, especially here in New England. I know some of your southern listeners have them a little bit more regularly, but our birds just came back. The uh, Baltimore Orioles, or the Bullocks Orioles, for you people out west, and even Orchard Orioles are... Are making an appearance, and in the old days, I think we all put out orange halves. I think back in the seventies, I would put orange halves, and the Orioles would come. And then people discovered they would go to uh, hummingbird feeders and try to suck out the nectar, yeah. and they still do. So they came out with Oriole special, little bit larger feeders for the um, that would t- the Orioles could drink out of. Like it looked like a, a, a enlarged hummingbird feeder. Mm. But in recent years, people have been putting out grape jelly, and that seems to be you know all three are successful, but that seems to be the the go-to thing recently is little cups of just regular old great jelly, and the birds really, really dig it. You know, they yeah. really come in, and other birds, like, I, I got a cat bird on mine as we speak right now, taking bits of jelly. What about that jelly? Do some people say it's uh, not good to put too much of it out, or what do you think? Well, you got to be careful. You know, um, the... If you, you use a small container, just a small cup, it's fine. I know some companies... They appeal to the lazy customers, and they they have this device that you could screw on a jar of jelly and just hang the old jar. So you don't have to fill it as regularly. But the trouble is, you can't get the you can't allow the jelly to get on the bird's feathers. And yeah. so if you do a, a large quantity, the birds have to dig in, try to get all the jelly out, and then they end up with stickiness on their feathers, which is not good. So just small little cups. Yeah, that that would be fine. I'm picturing one of those giant economy size jars of grape jelly out there <laughs> hanging off your feeder. Oh, cow! All right, are we done? Yeah, but I want to. I don't know where my manners are. I wanted to have you say hello to Steve and uh, Mia and Griffin here. They're right in the studio with us. Oh, you know what? Yeah, I was going to ask Steve if um, did you take older students because that sounds like an awesome class. <laughs> well, unfortunately, yeah. the cutoff is eighteen or hopefully not nineteen. So, oh, so uh, I just missed it for like three years. Yeah. just missed it. Wow. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. Hey, great class. Thank okay, you. Okay, talk to you guys later. Talk to you next week. All right, we're back here in the studio, and if you are just joining us, by the way, we have special guests in the studio. Steve McGuire, teacher at Situate High School here in Massachusetts, and two of his students, Mia DeSano and Griffin Seidel, and they are students in Steve's ornithology class. And I want to mention again, if you missed earlier too, uh, Steve has created something very special here with this really full-length ornithology class. So if you're a teacher... Um, Get a hold of Steve. I'm going to give you his uh, email address again, if I may. It's uh, mcguire at sit.org. S in front of that, S. McGuire. Oh, thank you. No I problem. Didn't ha- Let me write that down. There you go. Uh, okay, I think I gave the wrong address earlier. There's probably a guy in Cleveland somewhere that is getting uh, <laughs> a bunch of emails right about now. So it's S. McGuire, M-A-G-U-I-R-E, at sit.org. And uh, there's also an S in that sit, but there's also a C. It's right. S-C-I-T. Yeah. Okay, I guess we've confused everybody pretty well now, so let's get on to the mystery bird contest, and here's the sound of the bird. Swims like a duck, walks like a chicken. It's a tropical marsh bird seen with ducks, but it has a triangular chicken-like bill. Its body is an intense green, purple, and blue, and it has yellow legs. 
Uh, our bird feeds on a wide variety of plant and animal matter, and uh, it's found year-round in Florida, Gulf Coast of Texas, Louisiana, and breeds through the southeastern states and often well up into New England. And I think I've seen uh, my guests here mouthing the name of this bird, so I think, uh, yeah, they're all nodding. They, they've, they've got it figured out. Let's see if Kate in Newtown Square, Pennsylvania, has it uh, figured out. Good morning, Kate. Good morning, Ray. Good morning. Uh, where's Newtown Square, by the way? It's about 20 miles west of Philadelphia. West of Philly, okay. Well, say hello to uh, Steve and uh, our students here, uh, Mia and and, um, and Griffin. Hi, Steve. Hi, Mia. Hi, Griffin. Good Sounds morning, like a Kate. Awesome high school. I wish I had gone there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe you can get something started uh, there in Newtown Square. Yeah. Yeah, well, we are involved in some, some programs out here. Mm-hmm. really great. But not in the high school, sir. Yeah. All right. Well, let's see. We're on the mystery bird contest now, uh, Kate. What do you uh, What do you say the bird is? Is it a purple gallinule? Is it Steve? Is it a purple purple gallinule? Yeah, that's what we said. Also, yeah, guys, yeah, they 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 had that, so they may have telepathically communicated that to you. But I think you probably figured it out on your own, Kate. Thank you so much. Um, uh, tell us a little bit about birding where you are, if you can. Um, we live. Because we're close to Philly, we have all the great birds that come up and down the flyway. And then we have, we actually had our first um, Baltimore Oriole a couple oh, days ago, as cool. well as our first uh, rosy grosbeak. Wow, nice. A couple days ago, a male and a female. So we've been getting some great birds. Stay in the line, Kate. We'll send that droll Yankees feeder out to you. Fantastic. Thank you. Next week, we'll welcome the poet of Parker River, the Prince of Plum Island, author of the book Reflections of a Golden-Winged Warbler. Our friend Doug Chickering will be here with us. Steve and Mia and Griffin, thank you so much for thank being you, with us. No that is our show for today. Uh, executive producer Mark Duffield, associate producer Debbie Bleacher, our engineer Tim McKenney. I'm Ray Brown. We'll see you next week. Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Birdwatchers General Store. Orleans Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By L.L. Bean. Inspiring you to get outdoors. LLBean.com. By Celestron. Offering binoculars and scopes for birders of all levels. Celestron.com. By Birds and Beans Shade Grown Bird Friendly Coffee. Birdsandbeans.com. And by Chimani. Visiting a national park? Let Chimani guide you. Chimani.com.